Welcome again, and to anybody who's uh, just come into the room. Um, so we're glad to have Woody Phillip here at college. For Australian Presbyterians, the Church of Scotland is our mother church. We would say that we are the well-grown-up adult child, and uh, like some adult children, we look askance upon our mother, sometimes with a sense of horror. Our words might even be stronger with respect to the Church of Scotland. However much we might be the Presbyterian Church of Australia and standing under God on our feet, um, the Church of Scotland is our mother church historically. And it's not irrelevant to us or of no interest to hear what's happening in the Church of Scotland and for us to feel a concern for that and to ask what our responsibility is. And so we thought it'd be great to have Willie speak to us about the scene in the Church of Scotland um, as he relate his congregation, Troncourt, Glasgow. They're one who lost their property because of standing um, courageously for biblical truth. Uh, with some of the recent changes in the Church of Scotland, we'll hear more about that. So Willie's going to talk to us for uh, 40, 45 minutes, and then we'll have the opportunity of questions up until about one. Thanks. Thank you. Let me start with um, just some, some general uh, uh, words and, and statistics and so on about the, the, the church in Scotland. Uh, last time we had a national census in 2011, uh, the picture shows that uh, Scotland is increasingly secularized. Um, uh, just over 53% in the census would still tick the box saying they consider themselves Christian. Um, that was down, though, from 65% in the 10 years uh, previously, so that's a quite a big reduction. A third of the population in the census still uh, uh, said that they identify themselves with the Church of Scotland, so that's 1.7 million people out of about 5.5 million. So about a third Church of Scotland, 15% Roman Catholic, and then the others are very, very small. Probably the next biggest would be the Free Church of Scotland. That was just 11,000 people said they identified themselves with, uh, with that, and mostly Highland. The Church of Scotland today has about um, just over 1,000 parishes, I think about 1,050. That's about 1,400 congregations, but some of those are grouped together, uh, so it's just over 1,000 parishes. The total membership in the Church of Scotland is now uh, reduced to below 400,000. So you compare that with the 1.7 million who sort of identify themselves, but actually membership is, is obviously much, much lower than that. Um, although it's still by far the largest. It is declining rapidly. Um, in 2000, it was over 600,000. Uh, in 2009, which was a key assembly where we uh, upheld the ordination of uh, men in a same-sex relationship, it was still 470,000. We lost nearly 100,000 since then, just in the last five or six years. But it is still by far the largest. I mean, by, by contrast, the, the, the Free Church of Scotland probably only has five or 6,000 members, so it's, a, it's very tiny. Of course, um, actual church membership is, a, a, is another story. That, uh, church attendance is another story. That's vastly less than uh, church membership. We have churches with hundreds of members, but you would never guess that by going to the church. Uh, they're members of the church invisible, obviously. Um, <laughs> um, but in a very different sense. Um, uh, uh, one survey uh, in 2013 um, put the attendees in church in Scotland, uh, and I don't know how regular that was, you know, the, 
regularity now becomes much less than what regularity means to you and me. But it put Roman Catholic attendance at 215,000 and Church of Scotland at only 208,000. So that might be quite shocking to some of you. Um, a lot of that is the re reinvigoration caused by immigration, particularly uh, from uh, Eastern Europe, Poland, and so on. In fact, I read a statistic saying that there are, there are more masses said in Scotland in Polish today than there are in Gaelic. Um, um, on reporting these uh, figures, the National Secular Society of Scotland uh, had an article saying, Scots are abandoning their religion. The Church of Scotland put out a response saying, we remain positive. <laughs> Um, just some other statistics which may be of, uh, of interest um, in the church of God today um, more than a quarter of parish ministers are women well over 50% of all elders are women and two thirds of office bearers are women we first ordained women in 1968 uh, to the ministry uh, so 40 years later that's the picture in congregations though um, I think it's probably more like 80 to 90% women. Uh, and mostly, uh, the age group would be mostly uh, over 70 and increasingly even older. Let me tell you some ministry statistics from the Church of Scotland from their own uh, reports to the General Assembly over the last couple of years because I think that's quite illuminating. The Board of Ministry reported in 2013, recognizing a big problem, only 13% of its ministers are under the age of 45, um, out of about 845 ministers. Um, there are 1,050 parishes, there are already 200 vacancies, um, so about a fifth of parishes are already vacant. Uh, on the most optimistic forecast, 38% of ministers would be retired within 10 years' time. By contrast, only eight new probationer ministers uh, completed their training that year for the whole Church of Scotland across its five colleges. Uh, Sixteen candidates were accepted for training. Nine women, seven men. Nine women, seven men. In the 2014 report, um, the situation was even worse. Um, it predicted that um, 530 of the current 825 ministers will be retired within 10 years. More than 65% ministers will be retired in 10 years. Now that would require, in terms of replacement, well over 50 new candidates uh, 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 coming out into ministry every year, but the current rates are about 10. So at that rate, um, if that continues, uh, in 10 years' time, only a third of parishes will have ministers. Now they, they uh, put in more optimistic estimates, reckoning they could double the training and also perhaps bring in ministers from other uh, denominations. But even their most optimistic estimate uh, left them only filling two-thirds of parishes. And I think a reasonably, reasonably uh, optimistic forecast would see maybe a half or slightly more uh, filled. Now, if half of, half of the churches are vacant, that means every minister is an interim moderator looking after another parish. And some of those parishes are already five churches spread about in you know, large areas, particularly in rural areas and so on. In 2015, the figures of those accepted for training for full-time ministry was only 14. Um, uh, so nothing like uh, the numbers needed. Um, interestingly, uh, very interestingly, it was noted in the assembly report um, that the paucity of numbers in training was not just a sign of the times because other training institutions were getting people. And they even mentioned in a footnote our Cornell training course. I don't know how they could have... Um, not gagged with having to mention that, but the truth is that in 2015, across five college universities in the Church of Scotland, across all years of training, 
there were 45, 43 people in training. So that's across all four years in five colleges. Um, and in our Cornhill course, little Cornhill course in Glasgow alone, we had 37 uh, across the years in ours. So you don't need to know anything about theology. If you just look at the statistics, that tells you what's going on uh, in the Church of Scotland. There's a denomination in drastic decline. And of course, now it is a church that has chosen quite clearly to walk away from scripture and, uh, and from its history uh, and from the Lord himself. Um, let me tell you about how the homosexual issue has uh, been the crisis point. The big thing here, I think, for you to take home is just the sheer rapidity, the speed uh, at which um, there has been movement on this, uh, on this situation. Back in 2006, when civil partnerships had just been uh, brought in uh, to UK law, our General Assembly uh, narrowly upheld um, uh, a, a, a move uh, so that, uh, by, by liberals in the denomination to protect uh, any minister who might uh, un uh, undertake some sort of uh, blessing for, for a union like that. The church was not um, uh, 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 proving such unions, but what these folk wanted was that if, if, if a minister went and did a blessing for a, a union, they could be assured they wouldn't be disciplined. And that was passed at our General Assembly by a narrow majority, but we managed to get it sent down to the presbyteries under the Barrier Act. I don't know if you have that sort of thing. You have that, yeah. So what happened then was um, the Barrier Act knocked it back, and three, it was a three-to-one vote. Of our 46 presbyteries, three-to-one voted against. Now, many evangelicals we were all rejoicing, and many were thinking, this is terrific, we've won the battle. Some of us were saying, <laughs> this is just the beginning. This is going to come back soon. Well, it came back in 2009, just three years later, when Scott Rennie uh, was uh, appointed to a church in Aberdeen. He'd been a minister in Brecon, um, but on his appointment to Aberdeen, uh, he said, uh, he declared that he was in an openly uh, homosexual relationship in a civil partnership. The Presbytery of Aberdeen uh, upheld his appointment, but uh, a small number of evangelicals in that presbytery um, stood against that and uh, appealed to the General Assembly. But our General Assembly of that year, 2009, upheld uh, the call and the evangelicals were defeated. And that was the point when the Rubicon was really crossed. Um, but the assembly set up a special uh, theological commission, having made the decision to now work out the theology as to you know, whether we should make the de decision post factum. So um, that was to report in 2011. And so there was one last chance to pull back. It was a kind of holding situation. Um, people like myself uh, had very little expectation of any pulling back at all, but we wanted to try and, uh, and, and, and keep with others. And there was at least the possibility that, that there might have been a repentance and a, and, a, and a turning back. However, when it came to 2011, the assembly voted even more strongly not to pull back, but to continue, as they called it, on a trajectory towards normalizing um, same-sex unions. So at that point, we and a number of others felt we just, we just could not maintain normal fellowship. Um, we declared ourselves in impaired fellowship. We, couldn't accept the authority um, uh, of the presbytery. We stopped uh, paying funds uh, into central funds of the church because we felt we could not be paying for uh, that kind of ministry. Um, until that point, um, things have been, I suppose, fairly quiet. The way it works in the Church of Scotland, you can huff and puff as much as you like, but uh, you'll just be politely ignored. But when you actually do something, um, and draw a line, then all hell broke loose. And 
Um, we tried very hard to uh, find a peaceable way of, uh, of separating, but things went from, uh, from bad to worse, and ultimately we had to uh, secede before uh, there was a very real, very real present risk of me being uh, disciplined and suspended, and our elders also, and our congregation being left in, in, in disarray. Some in other churches held out. Um, uh, there were a number of us at that point who, who did that. Some held out, hoping that there would be another opportunity to, to reverse things, but in 2013, uh, the General Assembly just went further in, in, in putting more nails into the coffin, if you like. And in fact, this year, the, the, the final, 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 <laughs> last hope, uh, which never was a hope, but was um, banished. And what the Church of Scotland has done is affirmed its traditional position on marriage as being between a man and a woman, affirming that this is what the Bible teaches, but allows any congregation that thinks differently to opt out and have a minister in a same-sex union if they want. So it's almost worse, in my view, than saying we believe actually where we're wrong and the Bible teaches something differently. It's actually this is what the Bible teaches, but we don't care. We just, if you, if you don't like it, you do something else. So, um, over the last few years, from 2009, uh, from 2011 till the present, about uh, 25 ministers, I, I forget the numbers exactly, it might be more than that, have left. Some whole churches have left, like ourselves, we left with every single person, not a single person has stayed uh, behind in the building, there have been a number uh, like that, four or five. A number of others, another half dozen or so, have left with the vast majority of their attenders although not necessarily their paper membership. So the Church of Scotland likes to spin it and say, well, a small group has left, but the vast majority of members have stayed. But in fact, 80% plus, maybe more of the, of, of the real congregation uh, have gone. And in many other churches, uh, members have left. There's been a, a, you know, a lot of people in churches where they felt the leadership weren't really doing anything and hung on and hung on, hoping they would do something. And in the end, they got fed up and they've left and voted with their feet. And of course, the problem there is that churches have been further weakened. They're even less likely to do anything together. So it's been a very messy business. Some, have, some ministers have just had to resign their charge because they, they just, the congregation was not with them and they just felt they couldn't, they couldn't stay. Some have uh, taken charges in other denominations or, uh, or whatever. But the situation today is that there is hardly an evangelical Church of Scotland congregation left in any of our cities. Um, all the churches that would have students, uh, young people, training churches, um, they're no longer in the Church of Scotland. And um, I mean, that's when you take the statistics I shared with you about ministry numbers and so on, that's a, a pretty parlous situation. Some evangelicals do remain at present. Um, some of those are people who would love to find a way out, can't see a way at the moment. They're fairly new, perhaps, in ministry as an evangelical in a liberal parish. Um, their only option is either to resign themselves personally or to stay, and that's a very difficult and difficult thing. When you've got a family and a, uh, you know, I, I can't point my finger at people. Uh, some of them are very much with us in heart, but are just in great distress, not knowing what to do. Some, I think probably right to say are just putting their heads down and retirement is not that far off and um, can't face it. Some, uh, I sadly, some have been exposed um, 
having had a long evangelical ministry, so-called, but I, I've been exposed in this situation, finding that their elders, never mind their congregation, are not really with them on the issue, seem totally confused and just don't support them. And that's a very difficult position when you've been in a church for 20 or 30 years. It's difficult for people to not ask, well, why is it like that? Um, and so people in that situation are very defensive and some of those have been quite hostile uh, towards those of us uh, who have left. Um, why have we got to this situation? Um, it's often been said we have many evangelical ministries, but they haven't been translated into evangelical churches. And I think what our experience and the crisis that we've been through has shown is that, alas, many of those evangelical ministries have preached the positives, but not the negatives. I call them necessary negatives. You know, everybody loves, um, I am the way, then the truth, and the life. But Jesus didn't stop there, did he? No one comes to the Father but by me. So if this is true, that is not true. And I think the pressing home of the negatives that define the positives has been a, a, a missing thing. I think there's been an avoiding or a, a, a lack which has been exposed of applying the word of God to the congregation and into the life of the congregation. In other words, the gospel has been preached from the pulpit, um, but it hasn't actually got into the pews and actually done the work. Um, one uh, quite eminent uh, senior evangelical minister uh, said, well, I, it's not any part of my work to change the church. I'm just here to preach. Now, you can sort of see in one way what you mean by that, but I think that actually that is the root of our problem. Let me just give you an example. One young, not that young actually, uh, but a minister who went uh, in, I think, tw early 2011 to his first charge. He was a man of about 40, a very experienced man at work as a, a senior management consultant. So he knew how to handle people and groups and all of these sort of things. But he went to a church in the Highlands which had had a, uh, an evangelical minister um, whom we all knew for, for, for about 30 years. Within two months of being there, he discovered his session clerk and one of the elders had been living in a, a gay relationship for many years. And the previous minister apparently had known about this. Um, it wasn't widely known in the congregation openly. They never sort of sat together in church, but it was sort of known but never talked about. So in his early time there, he felt that especially in the midst of all that we're going through, he couldn't just ignore this, spoke to these men, and at first had a reasonable uh, success with them. They both stepped down from the eldership and um, things seemed to be all right for various reasons then, including this former minister coming back in and stirring these men up against the pastor. These men then were emboldened and became, um, uh, uh, you know, on the front foot, started coming back to church, sitting together in the front row, obviously as a couple, in a very defiant manner. So the minister went to his session, uh, who had backed him uh, in dealing with them, but because they had been got to by various people, then took kind of cold feet and said, no, 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 we can't, you know, it'll, cause, it'll, it'll divide the church if we do anything about these men, we just can't do anything. My friend said, well, we cannot, we cannot have this situation. So he phoned, we, I was in touch a lot with him, I said, well, you must go to the presbytery and ask the presbytery to back him. In fact, in that presbytery, most of the ministers were evangelicals. They took the view, oh, you've just handled it badly. 
It's a great, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a great one that's often thrown in there. You're an inexperienced man, just handle it badly. Well, he was a very experienced man, and he handled it extraordinarily well, much better than I could have handled it. So I said to him, well, look, why don't you phone up this particular person, a senior man who uh, is very much advocating we should all stay in the Church of Scotland and so on and so on. Tell him exactly what is the situation in your church and say, what on earth do I do about this? The answer he got was, well, don't worry, you're not compromised at all. You can still go in your pulpit and preach the gospel. That's what matters. So that's what I mean, you see, this disconnect between preaching the gospel and the gospel actually meaning something in terms of change and repentance and so on. Now, that's a very extreme example, but I think that does illustrate a very deep problem, and that is a warning <laughs> to everybody. It's not enough to preach into the air. The word has got to get into the pew, hasn't it? It's got to get into the warp and woof of the, uh, of the life of the church. And I think it is the, it, it's, the, it's the lack of that that we are, we are reaping uh, today. Secondly, I think we've seen uh, the power of institutional, institutionalism and institutional idolatry. What we've seen is that when push really comes to shove, the institution, the denomination, comes first. And um, <laughs> that's illustrated by the fact that um, when we were, when we had two uh, legal uh, writs served on us, uh, court cases brought against us by the Presbytery of Glasgow and also by the the, the, um, uh, the central body of the of the Church of Scotland, some of the names on those writs were fellow evangelicals who I'd sat in conferences with over the years. And one of them said to me, "Oh, it's not. It's nothing personal." So I said, well, I'm reading my name <laughs> on this side, and I'm reading your name on this side, and the date for the court, and it looks pretty personal to me. But in the end, for many of my brothers in Christ, and some of these are brothers in Christ, the institution had been so important to them, and the national church so important to them, that when it's come to the crux, in the end, they have found themselves standing arm in arm with gospel haters and gospel destroyers. I don't think they're very comfortable about it, but that's the way it's, that's the way it's happened. And the power of the institutional allegiance uh, is a very, a very big thing. I can answer questions uh, uh, about that in a moment. Let me tell you there's some positives. <laughs> It's not all negative. Uh, it's very definitely positive. There has been, through all of this, a real sifting happening. We are finding who real gospel friends really are. We're finding what being real gospel churches really means in an increasingly hostile culture. Uh, something that was immensely, immensely important to us was discovering the real meaning of the worldwide fellowship of the gospel. People from uh, Australia, America, every part of the world uh, over these years have been in contact with us, have supported us, have written letters of support, have, have encouraged us and stood with us, have said, you know, we're encouraged by what you're doing and uh, keep at it. And uh, that has been a very powerful thing. And for our congregation, who were being made to feel we are schismatic, we are breaking the church, we are leaving and departing, it was a wonderful thing for people to say, no, you're not, you're not departing from us. You're choosing to stay with us and not depart. It's those who are departing. 
And um, the wonderful thing about modern worldwide communications is that, that that can happen. I guess we are more like the first century book of Acts than, than any century in between has been. We, you know, it's possible today, isn't it, to know the church all around the world as the whole church knew each other then. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Um, and not just through this, but, 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 um, but alongside this, we have seen growing partnerships of, of real gospel ministries and churches um, coming together much, much more um, and being able to put aside sort of secondary and tertiary issues um, because the things that really matter are becoming so obvious. And that's been an encouraging thing. Um, throughout the UK in the last 10 years or so, there have been a lot of um, gospel partnership groupings, um, which all started in England, but in Edinburgh now, there's an East of Scotland gospel partnership, which has been established. We've recently established that in Glasgow. There's one in, in Tayside. There's many spin-offs of that uh, in terms of uh, much greater uh, partnership and cooperation with, with other real gospel uh, churches, and that's been really great. Another thing which has been good, I think, is that training for ministry has been forced back much, much more into the hands of uh, the living church, not just by some sort of distant training institution. I mean, the way it was in Scotland, the churches had absolutely no say whatsoever uh, in training matters. When I came to uh, to the throne we had two guys training for church in scotland ministry in glasgow throughout their whole three or four years i never once was told a thing about them i never was asked anything about them um, there was no references it was absolutely nothing it was as though a complete different place out there was totally responsible and why on earth would the churches be involved i mean that too is one of the reasons why i've been in the mess we've been in so this is uh, because we now have to start from scratch and think about what to do um, it, it's much, much more uh, right back into the hands of the churches, and that has been uh, uh, been very helpful. Um, we have the advantage that uh, at least we have the Cornhill training course, which is established in Glasgow. That's a first stop training uh, for us. We've had to try and develop a, a post Cornhill training uh, because we uh, uh, we need to train people more ourselves. We developed a, a three year pastors training course. Um, and I think that's been good. There are challenges there, great challenges, but um, it's brought the church to realize that if the church is going to have leaders in the future, the churches actually have to do something about it. And uh, that was uh, never in anybody's consciousness before, extraordinary as it may seem. Um, that's one of, the, one of the other reasons we're in the mess we're in. Um, the other thing is that I think liberation from really quite stifling structures has certainly allowed us to move away from sort of survival, managing decline mode into thinking uh, much more in terms of mission strategy and so on. And I think that's a, a very encouraging thing. Just some positives from our own experience. Um, I said to you that we, we sought a peaceful exit and uh, then uh, things became in, in, incredibly difficult. We seceded therefore in June 2012 um, before we were uh, uh, you know, uh, damaged so, uh, so badly we wouldn't be able to survive. Uh, things got very nasty. We tried very hard to find a way of coming to accommodation so that we could continue in our building, which we'd just refurbished, costing uh, over three million pounds, nearly set, nearly seven million dollars. Um, but in, in the end, it all just became impossible, very nasty. There's all sorts of stuff in the press. It, it was grim. We were told we had to leave the building. So we left in December 2012, and I can tell you that from the day, from the moment we left the building, our congregation has never looked back. We had our last service on the Sunday morning, and on that very same Sunday evening, we moved around the corner a block away, uh, and, uh, and we carried on. So in one day, we left the old, we started the new, and the congregation just never looked back. 
And extraordinarily, the Lord has taken away bitterness from our people about the money they put into that building and all of those things. It's not a building we can avoid. It is right smack in the city center of Glasgow. I see it every single time I go to our church. I walk past it every time I go to the station. You mean cunt? <laughs> Blank it out of your mind. There's still sometimes that I get angry when I see some of the things going on in it, but the Lord has really taken that away, and that's an in incredible thing. The hostility didn't stop, though, and um, the church has gotten fired. Everything they could at us, they put us through a, a complaint to the Scottish charity regulator. We had a two-year investigation of all of that. They accused us of all kinds of things, impropriety, all the rest of it. Um, we were totally exonerated. Um, we got eviction notices. Uh, and in fact, these legal cases are still on the books. They're still live. But after several years, we're almost at the point where we've at last reached some kind of settlement. We just didn't want to spend 10 years dragging through the courts and bankrupting ourselves. So we're nearly there, but after an awful lot of, uh, of hassle. So although the congregation moved on very quickly, for some of us who still had to kind of deal with that entail, it's been quite um, exhausting. One of the difficulties is <laughs> I don't want to discourage the congregation who are, you know, looking to the future and fired up, and we're still kind of plodding along, having a full list. So that's been a bit of a, a, a tension. But God has provided for us in wonderful ways. I said that we moved just around the corner. That is to the old church halls building, um, which we managed to still keep because uh, we were able to sell it um, a few years uh, previously. The presbyteries were all being told to um, uh, rationalize all the buildings. Every building was to be categorized A, B, or C. A will keep it. C will get rid of it. B will still fight over it. Um, and everybody was fighting if they were having their building classified to being closed. Our halls was designated to be closed. We appealed, we appealed again, we appealed again because we were doing more and more and more things in it. And we were, part of it was being used by the Cornhill training course every day. All our appeals were knocked back. They said, no, it must be sold within the next five to 10 years. By that time in early 2009, I could see what was on the horizon and I suddenly realized, hallelujah, Lord, this is actually what you're doing. <laughs> so not all our folk could quite see it, but Anyway, a long story, we managed to, uh, we sold the building to the Cornhill Trust, who then leased the building back to us. <laughs> when, we took, when we took it to Presbytery, of course, saying, well, we're going to do what you say and sell the building with alacrity and set a good example and not complain, they suddenly got very suspicious and did all sorts of things <laughs> to try and stop us selling the building. But it was their decision. So later on, that was one of the things the church has gotten through at us with the Charities Commission. They said, oh, we'd made an illegal disposal of the building, all this kind of stuff. So I took great delight in showing them all the presbytery papers and saying, well, in a Presbyterian church, that wasn't our decision. It's the decision of Glasgow Presbytery, so we better go and ask them. But the Lord provided that uh, for us. Not only that, but um, in the months leading up to, uh, to the real crisis, the, the, the shop next door uh, to our building adjacent to it, which actually sort of interlocked with a bit of our building, uh, went bust. And um, it was getting sold at a very knockdown price. So we had one of our property guys monitoring this, and we, had a, we were ready to do a deal. We'd had a deal on the building. Um, and then it changed receiver, or the bank brought in somebody else, and they said, no, no, we want to take it to, uh, to auction. And uh, we didn't hear anything about it. And instead of going to the normal auction place for these sort of places in the city center of Glasgow, for some extraordinary reason, it went to some place down in Ayrshire, which is mostly agricultural uh, 
machinery and sort of uh, distressed private dwellings. But one guy in my congregation who is a motorbiker and he goes to that auction and sometimes looks at things, he got an email about the auction. He spotted that that building was going to be sold. And the week, the week that we were told finally we had to leave our building, we went down to that auction and we ended up getting the building for half the price that we had agreed to pay uh, previously. <laughs> so the Lord has been wonderfully kind um, and, and, and many other things uh, like that. We've now been able to refurbish that building extraordinarily. You know, our people managed to give yet again. And we're not a wealthy congregation. We have a lot of people who are impecunious, a lot of students, a lot of asylum seekers and so on. And our, and our people really had given, some of them had really given everything they had. But fortunately, we had had growth. We had more, more people coming. And, uh, and so we've been able to do what we need to do. I, I can answer more questions, but let me just sum up. Uh, the, the message I want to give to you is do not, two things, do not be naive about how rapidly things can change. That in, in the space of five years, uh, we went from being completely solidly rejecting the revisionism of the homosexual question to just accepting it. Uh, with open arms. At the same time, our society in the UK has gone uh, from saying they wouldn't bring in gay marriage to having full gay marriage in Scotland, England, Wales. Do not underestimate how quickly things can move around us and the impact that, that can have uh, in church. But secondly, what we have learned is the truth of God's word that says, them that honor me, I will honor. Um, we're in a post-Christian Scotland now, historic structures which once helped the gospel, now, alas, hinder the gospel. But God is not dead. His people, I think, are being sifted and sharpened. Uh, but the gospel is still powerful to save, and, uh, and we're seeing that. We were preaching through Acts, uh, not inappropriately, through the midst of some of our uh, travails. Uh, and a verse, I think, that became a watchword for us was Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 16.8. I'll stay in Ephesus, for a wide and effective door is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. And that is exactly what we have uh, seen. And so I think it's a message that we all need. Although your situation is different, and, and, and will work out differently, if there are many adversaries facing you, if there's a lot of pain then I think you should be looking for that wide and effective door because those two things go together. And if there is a wide and effective door, you need to realize it will come with pain and it will come with many adversaries. But don't lose heart because those who honor the Lord, he will honor and we can testify to that abundantly. We are glad as a congregation of what our God has done in us through what has happened we wouldn't like to go through it again but we look back and we thank God and I can say that with absolute honesty and I think that's a wonderful thing so any, any questions thanks uh, all this makes me very glad that we had 1977 and uh, a lot of this went from us in 1977 okay some time for questions
Yes, uh, well, that's a good question. I think we do not want that to happen. We, we don't want to have that kind of uh, institutionalism in any shape or form. Um, our position is difficult. At the moment, we're kind of a Presbyterian church without a presbytery. Um, <laughs> what a blessing. <laughs> I've always thought there's only three things about Presbyterianism I don't like. It's church sessions, presbyteries, and general assemblies. The, the, rest, of it's, <laughs> the rest of it's fine. Um, <laughs> the situation is very fluid, so there are still churches that are uh, changing, coming out. Just last Sunday, a new church started with a, a large group coming out of uh, a church in Stirling. So we haven't wanted to rush to, to, uh, you know, to, to sort of do anything too precipitously. We are in the process of forming um, uh, a fellowship, which will essentially be a presbytery. We're, we're of some of the churches that have come out. One or two have joined the Free Church of Scotland, one, one or two in the Highlands, and one in a, a, a couple of others. For all sorts of reasons, the rest of us that just haven't felt that's really the, uh, the answer for us. Um, um, it's very difficult. There's lots of, the, you know, we've already got several Presbyterian denominations in Scotland, very small, and lots of little splinter groups. It, it, we don't want to kind of add to that in one way, but on the other hand, none of us want to be just independent churches. Um, you know, we've already seen, there's another whole story, we've already seen difficulties arising in some of those that have come out. You know, you leave an institution, you feel a great sense of liberation, but it's not too long before you realize actually there were some reasons for mm -hmm. some of these structures, uh, and it's not all bad. And we've had to, w what we've learned is we definitely need each other, we need others. So. We are trying to forge something which will essentially be uh, replacing what we've had, but I think we'll need to be, and partly just because of the way the world is changing and certainly our culture is changing, I think we need things probably which are going to be much more flexible and adaptable in order to do mission in our context. But we're feeling our way. But you're burned by your experience. So, I mean, the truth is nobody is really very keen to jump into another big structure anytime fast. You know, we've really been badly burned by that. And just because another structure is not theologically liberal doesn't mean it doesn't have a lot of the same things that the Church of Scotland have had, which were, which were problems. It's not just about theology. The institutionalization is quite, a, you know, it's quite a force uh, on its own. So we value your prayers. You know, we're trying to work out the right thing to do. Um, for our churches and, and and for the gospel generally, but you know it's 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 difficult. Well, as I said, we're in the process of, of, of putting together um, what will not be called a presbytery, but in effect, we'll, we'll, we'll do the things that, that that does for that accountability. What we've done in the interim, and we did very quickly, was in our church congregation, is we got, um, we've, we've, we asked a number of people, senior men, uh, to be a council of reference for us. And we, and we asked them two things. Would they be um, available to us for advice and guidance, and would they be willing to step in and help if there's a problem? Uh, and we found that was a really encouraging and helpful thing for our congregation uh, because 
We've got some, some men in Scotland, some further afield, uh, uh, but they're all people who uh, know me, they're all people who, know the, who the congregation know. So if you like, it's a kind of, it's, it's those who, if, if we get into difficulty, we would call on them to come and help. So it would be, we would ask one of them, for example, to come and be an interim moderator. Something happened to me, um, and we're very aware of the kind of needs of that. So from, from the beginning, we've been doing that, and I've been very keenly trying to encourage others. You know, some, you can understand that some people just feel out of all of that, we don't want any more, but um, I think that's naive, and uh, so we're, we're, we're in a holding pattern, but we, we've put something in place to, to do that. Yeah, thank you. Um, in the Church of Scotland, parish ministers are automatically um, registered to, to marriages. It's the established church. Other denominations, like uh, you're saying, uh, will nominate people. Um, but so I lost my status uh, for that. Um, so what I have to do is, um, uh, because at the moment we're kind of independent, the scene is that we, I just apply on, on, on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, and, and then that's granted. So we had to we had to send some letters from the church saying I was the person who would do marriages for us, and we just applied to the registrar. And they, so I just I just asked permission for each one as it comes, and actually that's quite helpful to me because nobody can say, oh, will you do a gay marriage for us? And I have to I have to declare. I just say I, I have to ask permission to do marriages, and I don't feel inclined to ask permission to do this for you. Not that I've had it yet, but it, but it, it does protect us we, because nobody can demand that we do that. Well, it's becoming an issue. Yeah, it's becoming an issue now. In fact, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know yet whether the assembly has actually finally decided on. I don't think it's finally decided exactly what, what it's going to say about that. I think it's trying to work that out. Because, see, the problem is when it set up its commission, gay marriage hadn't, has only just come in. It was civil partnerships we were dealing with. So that kind of is another thing they have to deal with. But there will be. There definitely will be. And there are certainly ministers who want to do it. And there are certainly people who are demanding that it be done in churches and, and, and so on. Yeah, it's it's exactly the same. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's widely accepted, and that has changed very rapidly. That's that's what is astonishing to me. 
I mean, the Irish referendum is an interesting one just recently um, because just 20 years ago, they had about three referenda in close succession in Ireland um, to make divorce legal. And they, three times the population voted against making divorce legal. That's only 20 years ago. And now they're voting overwhelmingly to, to make uh, gay marriage. Although it's complicated in Ireland. It's really, it's not just about gay. That was a big slap in the face of the Catholic Church uh, and, and all the child abuse stuff and all of that has been a big effect in Ireland. But it's, a, it's, a, it's pretty much symptomatic of where we are. It's anything to do with the dark ages of the Christian past we want, we want finished. So certainly in Scotland, we're, Scotland's worse because it, with our parliament in Scotland, it's a, it's a single chamber parliament. So things just go through and bang, they're through. In England, you know, or in the UK Parliament, you've still got the House of Lords, so they have to sort of, there's a, there's a revising chamber and things get back. It's, it's much harder to make massive constitutional change, but, you know, even they can't hold back the tide. Um, that is, that is part of it. Yeah, that is part of it. But, yeah, the, the Free Church of Scotland is, is very small. It is still very predominantly a Highland church. Um, there are guys in the Free Church who will say, oh, that's just a misperception. But if you look at the statistics, that is just the way it is. They've probably got 80 or 90 congregations and all but about 10 of those are in the Highlands. So it's, it's, it's a very culturally different background and, uh, and, uh, and all kinds of things. But the, the institutional question is quite important and that is a bit of a barrier for some. Um, well, no, the, the Free Church has dropped exclusive psalmody in theory. Um, <laughs> I think what it means in practice is a, is a small handful of churches outside the Highlands will will not have exclusive psalmody, but the vast majority still will. And and those that have it are, you know, it's still not a, it's, it's still quite a big issue. I mean, there's a, one of our guys is in a free church in, in Glasgow and, uh, you know, they've agreed to have other things, but it's quite hard to have other things. So it's, it's you, you know, one quick decision doesn't change centuries of history. So there, there's... There's, there's a lot of things. There's guys that we're, who we know very well and are very much at one with who are in the free church. And there are one or two guys who, who have joined that. But it's, it's, it's quite complicated. There's all kinds of things. So it, it's not, I think, I think they, would, they don't understand why we're not rushing in with them. And they feel it's a natural home. I think some of, some of them feel a bit miffed that we haven't, we haven't sort of naturally done that. Um, but a big part of it is just the, having been through what we've been through, we're just very, very, very cautious about getting caught up in, in, a, in, a, in something like that again. None of us want to have another one of these <laughs> over some other issue. Um, and that may be wrong and, you know, that may fade with time, you know, but, but things are pretty raw still. And we're, we're, we're just very cautious. I think what you have to, you, you don't get the impression that this was once a great 
strong evangelical church which has gone liberal. You know, it wasn't. Uh, in 1945, um, there were no even. There was one, probably one evangelical minister in the church. When, when, when William Still went to be assistant minister in Glasgow and Springburn, that was the only church that would take him as an assistant. And then my father went there, and his brother George went there. Then nobody else would touch these guys. So the, that's the way it was then. So the, the sort of resurgence of evangelicalism since the war in the second half of the uh, 20th century were from these guys and the churches and the men that they put out. Um, but, you know, that was always a very small minority amongst a very big sea. So the, the, as the demographics have changed, as the church has generally declined, the sort of the, the moderate middle of the Church of Scotland has died off and the liberals have, you know, they're in the structures, they're in all of these things because they've got no ministry. So, you know, they get into all of that stuff and they, they, they disproportionately uh, have power. But there are those who would say, oh, evangelicals have, you know, just didn't play the political game well and didn't get into the right things. I think that's very naive. I don't believe... The real problem is that evangelicals didn't get enough into the structures. I think some of them misguidedly got far too much into the structures, neglected their own congregations. And that's why when a crisis like this comes, they find their eldership and their congregation aren't with them. I think the real problem is we didn't turn gospel ministry into gospel congregation. That, that is the real lesson, I think. There's no good having preaching for 30 years if after 30 years your two elders are sitting in a gay relationship and everybody's known it and nobody does anything about it. I mean, that's the problem. So, it, it's, it's, we haven't had enough strong churches. Which is why I think in the, in the Church of England, I mean, it's much more complicated than the Church of England because they've got the whole Anglican communion and the rest of the world that's sort of holding things back. But, there are a lot more very big, strong churches um, that enables them to have muscle. I mean, the polity is different, and there are certain strengths to, you know, and, and differences. But if we'd have had ten churches, even like ours, who all said, "Look, we're not paying any more money until this is sorted out," you know, we'd have been in a much stronger position. When there was a big hoo-ha in the Oxford diocese a few years ago, um, I think there was four evangelical churches in a diocese of about 200 were contributing 80% of the funds. Well, they were able to say, you know, do you want this money to continue or not? They kind of focused the minds. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Um, it's, it's one o'clock. There's more chance for conversation over lunch for those who book in. Um, let's thank Willie for his those who've booked in for lunch, um, you're entitled to lunch, which is in the room immediately behind us. You go out that door and then just go around back in. If you've not booked in for lunch, sorry, yes, I'm about to come to that. If you've not <laughs> booked in for lunch, um, sorry, you're not booked in for lunch. <laughs> yes, um, if you've booked in for lunch but you've not paid then Cheryl, she knows who you are <laughs> and she knows where you live. <laughs> Thanks for coming along. John.
proclaim our Vice Principal David Posen Friend, Fraser Woody, and uh, Pastor Chris Ashton for his I do feel like this announcement about lunch is reminiscent of some parable of Jesus or some we could kind of, you know. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks for coming along, Willie, and let's, let's pray. Our Lord God, we uh, are here this, this afternoon, all of us in, in different ways, beneficiaries of the Christian heritage of Scotland. We thank you for uh, men and women who came to Australia and preached the gospel and established churches. Uh, we thank you for the heritage that goes back before then of Reformed theology, which so many of us enjoy and appreciate. And with that history and those connections, it's particularly distressing for us to uh, ponder uh, the state of the Church of Scotland and, and generally the spiritual state of Scotland now. And so we bring our prayers to you for that country. We pray, Lord, that you would raise up a new generation of men and women who love your word and who know Christ and who are bold for Christ uh, and that they would speak and live in such a way that people will, will see their their faithfulness and hear their testimony and that you'll use that to bring many to yourself. We thank you for Willie and others who are investing in training uh, people for pastoral leadership, training Christian leaders, uh, encouraging and equipping preachers. And Father, we pray that through the difficulties of the last uh, few years that We'd see great things happening for your kingdom. Thank you for the encouragement that William and his congregation have found through the difficulties um, and the sense of fellowship that they've found with others in Scotland and beyond. We pray, Lord, that that might be strengthened. Uh, give them wisdom as they consider how to move forward in their connections with other congregations. And Lord, we pray that you'd protect them from... Uh, foolish decisions or from hitting internal crises when they uh, have not yet made the arrangements to deal with that. And so, Father, we pray for your continued protection over them. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to take uh, to heart both the encouragement and the challenge. Help us to resolve to be faithful to you and to your word to be confident that those who honour you, you honour. And Father, we thank you for uh, the stories that we've heard and the reflection on them that Willie's been able to share with us. We pray that you'd help us to learn from his experience and his wisdom and the application of your word to all of that. We thank you for our time together. We thank you for lunch for, and uh, the opportunity to continue to, to think and to encourage each other. And so we ask that you'd strengthen us with this food and for your service. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
gap you're talking about is really interesting. It's kind of it's ignoring disciplines, right? That's one of the marks of the church, saying that preaching is yeah. preaching is yeah. the necessary yeah. mark. Yeah. But well, I, I would the say that, that discipline means yeah. I mean, language is used, but to me, a, an evangelical preaching ministry implies that it applies. Yes, that's right. And <laughs> Not just to individuals, but yeah. to the congregation yeah. as a whole. Yeah, right. I think one of our biggest mistakes we've made is that they, they see preaching as principally to individuals. So if the gospel applies to you, about your life and your walk with right. Jesus. Okay, okay. instead of saying it's only a community. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I mean, the, the, whole, the New Testament letters are written to the church yeah. and the yeah. church. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Yudi and Syntyche, you're fighting together. Everybody needs to you know, sort this situation out. Right. You know, so it's, it's, it's diagnosing and, and um, bringing change to, to where there are faults, where there are, you know, all these in the congregation as a whole. Yeah. And I think the problem is that it's when you apply the word like that that you start getting in the neck of the preacher. Sure, yes. That's, that's why people don't do it. Yes. So, you know, if you start saying, look, we've got fighting in our congregation.